It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, here I find myself again in the studio alone. Rich is in Washington, D.C. for the National Day of Prayer. And uh, so in preparation for this program, I was thinking over the scope of a lifetime, people that God brings into a generation, and they just make a huge difference. And I'm thinking back through Billy Sunday, and there were so many other preachers of their day. Uh, D.L. Moody was another one of that generation that just preached and reached people for Christ, and it was wonderful. Now, during my generation, and most of you, why the name Billy Graham really stands out, doesn't he? Did he influence your life? Did he influence the life of your family? When God called him to be a preacher, tell me this, did he reach his culture for the Lord? As I remember, I was very, very young when I first heard him, and uh, he always preached about Christ. He always told people about Jesus. And then in any of the Grim Crusades, remember, it was Billy Graham preaching and George Beverly Shea singing, and how they came to know each other is another very interesting story. But today I want to just kind of concentrate on that, and I want you to think with me, maybe in your own memory, how many times have you heard this song by Bev Shea? Here it is. Oh, Lord, my God. George Beverly Shea, while he was alive, served the Lord and sang his praises. And man alive, he singing and Billy Graham preaching, they just went two two together. Uh, Now here is a message by Billy Graham when he was young. Stay with me now because we're going to get on to where he was much older. But during his entire lifetime, he served the Lord and preached his word, and he was not one to condemn somebody, but he was there to rescue them, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them to live for the Lord. So here is the young pilgrim with a message that was really, really powerful. Here it is. Last year, the number one motion picture in the United States, and I suppose throughout the world, that drew the largest box office, was a motion picture that was made just for small amount of money, nobody ever thought it would amount to much. It was based upon a simple little story, and it was called Love Story. And a headline in the British papers said, the greatest love story of the century. But the greatest love story of all time is summed up in these 25 verses. 
of 25 words that someone is called a miniature Bible, the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest love story ever told. For God. Do you ever stop and think about God? Many people are thinking about God today because we've seen that science does not have an answer to all of our problems. We are seeing that technology cannot solve all of our problems. And so thousands of young people in Europe and in America are beginning to talk about God. Some of them are going to India to see if they can find peace in their hearts. Some of them are going and studying yoga. And they're going into all sorts of different sects and groups searching for God. Some of them are going out into the desert and sitting under the stars and watching the stars. Have you ever wondered about God? Someone asked me at a university one day, can you prove God exists? And I answered, no. I cannot put God in a test tube. I cannot put God in a laboratory and say, here's God. How do I know that God exists? All the evidence seems to indicate that he does. I look up in the starry sky and I say, there must be a God. I look at the beautiful nature round about me and I say, there must be a God. I see the birth of a baby. Gary Player was telling us yesterday how he saw the birth of his last child. And he said, as I watched that, I knew that there had to be a God. But there's another reason. Deep in your heart, you have a conscience. And your conscience tells you there must be a God. Something down inside tells me there must be a God. And the Bible tells us that this God is the creator of all the universe. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now in that passage in Genesis 1, there is no explanation there's no attempt to prove God. It just says, in the beginning, God. Because everybody believes in God. Oh, but you say, I've met some atheists. You met some atheists that hadn't had any real trouble yet. But you find a person who claims he's an atheist and let someone announce to him that he has terminal, and you'll say, my God, help me. Or he get into a battle or get into a difficult spot, he'll say, my God, help me. Yes, all men know that there must be a God. He is the creator. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Now the Bible tells us God is a spirit. God doesn't have a body like yours. If God had a body like yours, he would have to be in one place at one time. But God doesn't have a body like yours. God is a spirit. And God can be in Africa. He can be in Asia. He can be in Europe. He can be in America all at the same time. He can be on a planet. He can be on the moon at the same time. I've talked to some of those astronauts that went to the moon and they told me that they knew as they went around the moon, there must be a God. I talked to some of the prisoners of war from Vietnam just a few days before I came on this trip. I talked to those first prisoners that came back to the United States and they told us in those prison cells for eight years in Vietnam, they knew there was a God. God is a spirit. 
The Bible tells us that God is unchanging. He never changes. Fashions change. Every part of our culture and life changes. And vast changes are underway throughout the world. The jet plane, modern communications have made it impossible. Fashions change. Culture changes. Technology changes. But God never changes. The Bible says, I am the Lord God. I change not. The Bible says, there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning with God. God has not changed in thousands of years. 10,000 times 10,000 years from now, God will be the same. God is from everlasting to everlasting. God does not change. But the Bible also teaches that God is a God of love. That God loves. I'm glad that's in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that God is a God of love and mercy and grace and that God loves everybody. I don't care who you are. He has the hairs of your head numbered. He sees the sparrow fall. He's interested in you and he loves you. Now there are several Greek words that are translated love. Eros means sensual love, sexual love. Phileo means friendship love, the love that I would have for a friend. But when the writers of the New Testament were trying to find a word that would describe the love of God, they invented a new word, agape, the divine love, a love that we cannot know outside of God. There is no love that you can think of in human relationships comparable to the love that God has for you and that God has for me. God loves you. You say, but Billy, I don't deserve such love. I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. I failed him a thousand times. I know that's the beauty and the greatness and the thrill of God's love. That no matter what you've done, he loves you. For God so loved the world, the black world, the white world, the yellow world, the red world the rich world, the poor world, the uneducated world, the educated world, and he loves us all the same. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want us all to say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is never preached without the working and the operation of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a little voice that's been speaking to you while I'm speaking. That's the voice of the Spirit of God. And God has been convicting you of your sin, and God has been convicting you of your need of Jesus Christ. Oh, I know that the majority of you may be members of the church. When I came to Christ many years ago, I was a member of the church. I was the president of the Young People's Society in my church. Everybody thought I was a wonderful Christian. But deep in my heart, I did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, God loves you. He's given his son. What do you have to do? You have to do something. What is it? First, you have to repent of your sin. Jesus said, repent ye. The apostle Paul said, God now commandeth 
all men everywhere to repent. God commands you to repent. Have you ever repented of your sins? Do you remember the moment when you repented? You say, well, Billy, what do you really mean by repent? Well, first of all, repentance carries with it the idea that you say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Have you ever said that to God? I'm sorry, and you really meant it? And then it means that you have to change. You have to turn around. You have to change and quit doing your sin. Change your way of living. Old things pass away and everything becomes new. That's repentance. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm willing to turn from my sin. Have you ever repented? Jesus said, except you repent, you will perish. And then secondly, by faith, you must receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. That can all be done with repentance. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. You may not understand it all intellectually. You don't have to. You come by simple childlike faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. The Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Now that doesn't mean you do away with your intellect or commit intellectual suicide. Oh no, there's a logic to the gospel. But your mind has been affected by sin so that you can no longer really receive spiritual things. So you come by faith and receive Him. And then the third thing, you must openly confess Him as your Lord and Savior and Master. Now I want all of you to bow your head and I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm willing to turn from my sin. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I receive Him as Lord. From this moment on, I want to follow Him in the fellowship of the church. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, you see, that was a message that Billy Graham preached years ago, and he was young, and he preached the same message from the time he started as just a youngster out of Bible school until the day he died. It was the same message, and I want to challenge you folks, is your witness for the Lord consistent? Now, you know, as we walk from being children on into teenagers and young adulthood and then through the middle years, and then when we get older, is the message the same? The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this particular Complete Story broadcast may be one of the first times we've really tried to cover the waterfront on that. The Complete Story is the message of Christ. There's no doubt about that. Now, here is Billy Graham. This is the very last thing he said to the American people. As you know, he died just a while back. And um, a year or so ago, what was that? Just, But his message never changed. The body gets old. Uh, clearly, the voice gets old and weaker. And everything gets old, but the message never changes. Here is the last message Billy Graham brought to the American people. As I look back over my life, it's full of surprises. I never thought I would become friends with people in different countries all over the world. I see how God's hand guided me. 
I began preaching many years ago, it is not with any thoughts that I'd be preaching to large audiences. Come to the cross! His gospel is for everyone! God has done this. Our country is in great need of a spiritual awakening. Well, there have been times that I've wept as I've gone from city to city and I've seen how far people have wandered from God. Of all the things that I've seen and heard, there's only one message that can change people's lives and hearts. There is a way if you come by the way of the cross. To tell people about the meaning of the cross. Not the cross that hangs on a wall or around someone's neck. We receive our freedom purchased by the ransom at the cross. But the real cross of Christ. The cross expresses the great love of God for man. It's scarred and bloodstained. His was a rugged cross. His real purpose for coming was to die. I know that many will react to this message, but it is the truth. And with all my heart, I want to leave you with the truth. God says, I love you. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And he loves you, willing to forgive you of all your sins. The cross is offensive because it confronts people. Even so, it's a confrontation that all of us must face. I look out across an audience when I stand up to preach, and I think of all the people with their different backgrounds and their various needs. And I know that they are objects of God's mighty love. To the point that he gave his son his only son, to die upon a cross. And the cross was the most terrible form of execution by the Romans for criminals. And Jesus endured all that in our place because of our sins. We deserve the cross. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment and all that that means. I know that there are many people that dispute that. People don't want to hear that they're sinners. To many people, it's an offense. The cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evils which dominate so much of this world. One reason that the cross is an offense to people is because it demands, doesn't suggest it demands a new lifestyle in all of us. Sin is a disease in the human heart. It affects the mind and the will and the emotions. Every part of our being is affected by this disease. How can we break this bondage? How can we be set free? God helps us break those chains. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away.
everything becomes new. It can make you a totally new person. On that cross, God was laying on Jesus our sins. They not only put nails in his hands, but before that, they'd scourged him. A Roman scourge was a terrible thing. They took whips and pellets on those whips and beat a person almost to death. And then they took that cross and made him carry the cross, which was in his weakened condition was almost impossible. But he carried that cross to a place outside of Jerusalem. And then they put nails in his hands. But that was not the real suffering. The real suffering is when he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that terrible moment, he and God, the Father, were separated. He shed his blood, and the shedding of that blood carries with it God's very life. There is no other way of salvation except through the cross of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The only way to the Father, Father God, is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now why Jesus? He's the only one that was born into this world without sin. But more than that, he was a righteous one. And when you come to him, you're clothed in his righteousness. God no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your own heart. He sees Jesus. When you come to Christ, you come by the way of repentance. Repent means to change, to change your way of living and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And I know that you're the only one that can change me. Today, I'm asking you to put your trust in Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, sentence by sentence after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you've died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I repent of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, those were the last words that Billy Graham uh, spoke to the American people before he died. The first message was when he was young and vibrant and everything, and then, of course, he got old. I think he was just a short time from being 100 years old 
when those words were spoken. Now, the other voice that you will always remember was the voice of George Beverly Shea, and it, too, is the same message. Here it is. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than a houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy Folks, there you have it. Now listen, our listener comment line, remember it. It's 1-800-345-2621. We'd love to hear from you. The various programs that are on Bot Radio Network, we select very, very carefully so that they will help you come to know the Lord better. This is Dick Bot with his chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service, and I'll see you later. <music> 